Hello, hello. Everybody can quiet down, please. Find a seat. Thank you. Welcome to the LSU Convocation 2016. I hope you guys are having a good day. Yeah, I like that. Can we have some more of that, please? All right, so just, just, just a note. All of you, can you please turn off your, your devices just to give respect to our speakers? All you young guns, stay out of the DMs for just a good 50 minutes for now. Um, all right. For those of you who don't know what LSU is, it's not Louisiana State University, it's not anything else. It is Latino Student Union. LSU is a group that is made to empower, unite, and serve a lot of the Latin students on campus, but it's not exclusive to Latin students. We're here to throw events, to have fun, and just to have people learn how to relate to what it means to be a Latin student on a college campus. For those of you who don't know the LSU leaders, here they are in the back, and I would like them to introduce themselves. My name is Nishan Laura, and I'm one of the leaders. I'm Alexa Valdez. Hi, I'm Des Lopez. Hi, I'm Janeth Bella. Gosh, this is too tall. I'm Rocio Diaz, and I'm the LSU advisor. Jose Chiquito. I'm Marco Fraticelli. All right, we're going to, today we're going to have a guest speaker, Felipe Merino, who works downtown as a lawyer, and he's going to share his experiences. We're going to also share some challenges of what it is to be a Latin student on campus, but also some solution to those and how you guys can get plugged in to the events that LSU throws because we have a lot of fun. So let's just let's carry on. Good morning, everyone. So, uh, first of all, um, I'm gonna introduce myself again. Uh, I'm Jose Chiquito, just in case you didn't get that. Um, but today I have the privilege to introduce our guest speaker for today. Um, Nashan kind of took my thunder here, but it's okay. Um, well, our guest speaker for today is an individual who, who we just didn't drew his name from a draw his name from a hat, but rather uh, we chose him because we think he well embodies uh, a servant leader. Our guest speaker lives his servant leadership as he advocates for people in Michiana in immigration cases. Aside from his work as an attorney, which is very, which is a lot, um, he, he also serves his Latino community at the Mayor's Latino Advisory Committee. He's invested as a father in his children's education and after school activities. He volunteers his spare time and many other worthy causes, of course. That's how I got to know Felipe. Um, furthermore, our guest speaker knows what it is to be a passionate learner. Um, Attorney Merino graduated from Stanford University in 1997 with a degree in American Studies and later went on to earn his Juris Doctor at the Notre Dame School of Law in 2001. I am honored to introduce someone whom I look up to. He was one of the first Latino role models that I had um, as I got more involved in the community. So it is my pleasure today to introduce a leader full of great stories and whose journey I'm sure you will find similar in commonalities. Everyone, please welcome our guest speaker, Felipe Merino. Thank you very much, and, and thank you, Jose, for that 
beautiful introduction. For those of you that don't know Jose, I'm sure you will get to know him in the next few years. Uh, he's very involved in the community and, and cares about more than just uh, his own universe. And I'm gonna hit my timer here because Jose has made it very clear that he needs me to speak for only a certain period of time. And he's asked me to narrow it down from, as he, as he was overwhelmed telling you that the, the immigration work that I do is, is, is so much, it really is. There are people getting deported on a regular basis. There are people that we're helping here in the local courts. Um, so I go all over the place. But today I'm here to talk to you about my experience as a college student, as a Latino college student in, in the 90s. I want, I want to talk to you from a frame of reference of you as a student here right now in Goshen College, whether you're Latino or non-Latino, I would encourage you to get to know other people, get to know people unlike yourself. You're always, throughout life, you're going to always be around people that are similar to yourself, just because that's the way it happens. You grew up around people similar to yourself, and after school, you'll be around people similar to yourself again, okay? So depending on what your walk in life is, that those are the folks you're going to see. So take this time right now that you're here at Goshen College to make sure that you expose yourself to different things, whether you get a chance to travel abroad or whether you are exposed to international students here. Make sure that you reach into somebody's life and find out their story, find out who they are. For me, in the 90s, I started at Stanford University in 1993 and graduated in 1997. I was one of seven kids. I grew up a poor kid in Los Angeles. Our family income, now that I think of it, I think it was by the grace of God that we survived. A family of seven kids and my mom and dad. I mean, we, when I got to college and I had to do the FAFSA and they gave me their tax forms, I thought, $11,000? Really, how did we survive? But you don't know that you're poor when you're poor. It's, you realize that you're poor when you're exposed to other things, when your world gets broader. And when I got to Stanford, I had classmates of mine down the hall in my dorm that had an attorney living at their residence in San Diego, California. Or they had their accountant that had an office at their house. Friends of mine driving BMWs. Um, others already owned homes and had assets and retirement funds. And, you know, I just felt kind of out of place. And for me, it was difficult because, again, I said I was one of seven. I was the first. I'm the, the fifth in line, but I was the first of my brothers and sisters to attend a four-year university. And mind you, it was Stanford University. So I had a brother that was just two years ahead of me who had gone to community college, and he was there in his, starting his third year when I started at Stanford. And he realized, whoa, wait a second, my brother just passed me by. I gotta get my butt in gear. And he did. He transferred to UCLA after that, then he went on, graduated with a degree in kinesiology and is now a, a chiropractic doctor in, in Southern California. But that story I tell you because my parents were immigrants who came to the United States in 1962. They came here with nothing but a dream. They didn't have a dime in their pocket. They arrived in Southern Texas, in Brownsville, where at that time, the restaurants had signs posted that says, we accept dogs, blacks, but not Mexicans. But they opened the door to my parents, they opened the door to my dad to come in and wash their dishes. And that was the kind of world it was. And, and I see Gilberto over here, he's from South Texas. He knows, that, he knows that those areas of South Texas are now primarily brown. And, and, and so it, it's a different world. It really is. But who would have thought when I was sitting in my classrooms 
at Stanford University, sitting in, in lecture discussions, sitting in seminars with professors like Philip Zimbardo, who did the Stanford prison experiment and, and, and taught me. Uh, you know, they wrote the book on psychology and, and some of these things. And so who would have thought that a kid that was sitting in that classroom would have come from that kind of background where the reason why he was where he was was because his brother was shot and killed in the streets of Los Angeles at the age of 16. No one would have thought that because they just saw me as another classmate. No one knew that story. And excuse me, but it's particularly difficult for me today because I was telling Rocio that um, I was going to fly out last night. My mom told me my oldest brother had one day to live. And I got my plane ticket and, and just, they just notified me that this morning he just passed away. But I think of my eldest brother who never went to college, never graduated from high school. And then I see my own life and how my expectation for my children is now completely different. They will succeed. That's not an option. My eldest brother, he was the first, born on the other side of the Mexican border. He came here, felt that his options were limited. My parents were in survival mode. They had no idea what college even was with an elementary school education. And so take that and package it into this head, these feelings, this heart, and transplant me from Southern California, six hours away from my parents, Northern California, near San Francisco, in a classroom setting. And the pain, the history, but that same motivation carried me and pushed me. And every day that I was in the classroom, I thought to myself, my brother Frankie didn't die in vain. My parents didn't cross that border in vain. My neighbors, they work hard, they get no respect. That cannot be in vain. And so sometimes things were tough. Sometimes it was tough to get my schoolwork done, but I worked twice as hard. Sometimes it was hard to pay my bills, but I worked till three in the morning every day when I was in college. I was the director of Stanford United for Rape Elimination. It was the campus escort service where we drove around people on, on golf carts. It was fun. Driving out in the middle of the night and taking people to the library and the labs and, and back to their dorms and, and wherever they needed to go. But I had to be up early in the morning to get back on track in school to study and keep on going. Because I knew that if I didn't do what needed to be done there, I had a whole other generation behind me that was counting on me and would be let down. And so because of that, I did everything necessary, everything possible to expose myself to people in walks of life different than my own. Who would have known that a kid from Southern California that had limited resources, that came from that kind of background, would someday be at Stanford Uni University playing rugby. What was rugby? I mean, that's something British people did. And I'll tell you what, it was, it was some of the most fun times of my life were playing rugby. 
And when we first went out to practice, I can tell you that we went out and, and the way that we practiced was with the Stanford football team. The Stanford football team are big guys and they had pads and helmets on. And our practice, if anybody knows rugby, you don't wear pads and helmets. So our practice was, well, let me tell you exactly how it happened. Frank, our coach, he says, Philippe, Philippe, you stand right here. I'm thinking, Frank, why am I standing right here in front of the line of, of uh, football players? Let me show you, let me show you how, how we play rugby, how we practice for rugby. You have to learn how to fall. And he says, go. And the Stanford football team lets go and runs right at me to tackle me, to knock me down. And I turned around, and I never ran so fast in my whole life. <laughs> I, I never ran the mile so fast in my whole life. I just kept on going and going. He says, stop, stop. You're supposed to let them hit you. I'm like, with pads and helmets on, you're crazy. Anyway, the point was you learn how to take a hit and you roll so that you don't get hurt when the game happens. And so who would have known that at my graduation at Stanford, our keynote speaker was, was uh, Justice Breyer from the Supreme Court of the United States. And he says, you know, I want to tell you guys that I love this school. It's my alma mater. But the real reason why I'm here is because my pride and joy is graduating today. Mikey, stand up. Mikey had a little fro going on. And Mikey was a guy that I had tackled many times in rugby. And I thought, oh, my God. I could have gotten sued if I would have injured the Supreme Court Justice's son. <laughs> That's all I could think about at graduation. I could have gotten sued, I would have gone to jail, all kind of bad stuff could have happened to me. But who would have thought that a poor kid who grew up in Southern California, who had limited resources, whose parents had no idea what a university looked like on the inside, would someday be able to play rugby with a child, with the son of a Supreme Court justice? What a blessing. What an honor, and I have never forgotten the whole time, never forgotten that so many people came before me, even before my parents, to be able to open the door at that university because there was a man by the name of James Montoya, who was the Dean of Admissions, who called me and says, Mr. Marino, we have your application here. Are you coming? I know that you have offers from 15 other schools. Don't go to UCLA. I know that's a temptation because it's near your house. I already know you got accepted there. They called us from the admissions office. You need to come here. And so I ended up going there, and what a blessing. Jim Montoya not only became my friend, but now he's the vice president of the college board and is helping to determine policy that sets the SAT to make sure that it's, it's not um, biased against ethnic and racial minorities. People like that are making a difference, and people like that are, have, have touched my life so that now in the work that I do in the community, and in the work that I do around me, I'm trying to make a difference every day of my life. Thank you so much for your time, and I'm glad that I got to speak to you today. morning. As I said earlier, my name is Alexa Valdez, and I'm a fourth-year social work major with a Spanish minor. Um, before I get started in speaking today, I wanted to make a few notes about language. Um, a few of us, um, including myself, will be interchanging the terms Latino and Latinx. Um, if you don't know what that means, it's basically the same thing as Latino. It's just that it's more... Um, 
It's, it's more for those who don't uh, identify within the gender binary, and as some of you might know, Spanish is full of the gender binary, so this is just us trying to be more inclusive and be better allies to our non-binary folks. Um, so today I'm gonna be talking about my experiences being a first-generation college student. Um, this might not seem like an identity that comes with a lot of difficulties, at least I didn't think that it was a, an identity that came with a lot of difficulties, but um, it, most, just, it most definitely does. A first-generation college student at times must do a lot of things without their parents for the very first time. This is the first time that they have questions that their parents can't answer or can't give them advice on. Um, that first-generation student must take a plunge when walking into that college classroom for the first time. And like I said, um, it definitely didn't hit me um, with how difficult this identity could be until my first few weeks here at Goshen College. My experience with education has been both positive and negative. I grew up with teachers sometimes being surprised, almost shocked when I would do as well as or even better than the rest of the students in the class. I remember in grade school, I had one of the highest reading levels in my class, and I remember my teacher being really excited and giving me a whole lot of praise, which is a good thing, but I felt really awkward because there were a few other students who also even had higher reading levels than I did, but she didn't give them nearly as much praise. I, I wondered, shouldn't they too get praise for doing a good job and working hard to get that high reading level? Um, why, why just me? However, a lot of these students were white and I realized that they already had been held at a higher standard and mine was much lower. At the same time, I had to realize that even I was put at a higher standard than my fe fellow Latinx classmates. Um, first of all, I wasn't struggling with learning two languages. I only spoke one at the time, which was English, and I didn't have an accent that could be viewed as distracting or a nuisance or annoying when speaking in class. Um, a lot of times when I was growing up, because I would you know, do better than what I was expected, I would get told, well, Alexa, you're not like those Mexicans, or you're different from the other people um, in your neighborhood. I grew up in the north side of Goshen, and um, I went to Chamberlain Elementary School, and for those of you who didn't grow up in Goshen or aren't from around here, that part of Goshen is, has a substantial amount of poverty in the area. Unfortunately, college was no different. I always got extra praise when doing well in assignments, and I almost felt like teachers expected less of me, but then were pleasantly surprised when seeing my work. At times, this felt like a good thing because I had a challenge, but other times, it was difficult because I always felt like I had to really prove myself, and I had, um, and then I wasn't taken seriously until I showed my strengths in the classroom. I felt like I had to be so extra. I had to answer as many questions as possible. I had to, um, ask questions and be super assertive just to show people in the classroom that I, I earned my place there. A lot of times there would be comments in my core classes about people who didn't go to college and how their children wouldn't go simply because um, that wasn't expected of their kids to do so. And as a proud daughter of a Mexican immigrant, I can tell you that's simply not true. Both of my parents grew up in extreme poverty. Um, and 
I think there's nothing more of a motivation for you to, um, to get higher in life when you see your parents struggle to pay the bills or when you see your parents lose their dream home to foreclosure. Um, these comments um, made me feel alienated from my fellow classmates and just like my past teachers, I felt like they didn't expect much of me either. Another reason I would feel alienated is there's this stereotype about first-generation college students and about students of color um, in terms of getting free rides into college and somehow we have it super easy just for being minorities. Um, and now for some reason we don't have to work as hard to get into schools. Um, I was talking to um, a friend of mine a couple years ago about like our college processes and I, I was telling her about how I had also gotten accepted to Bethel and how I'd gotten a scholarship for being a first-generation college student and for being Latina. And she told me that she didn't feel that was fair and I, when I asked her why, she told me that it wasn't her fault for being white and it wasn't her fault that her parents went to college. Well, it's also not my fault for being born poor and for being born brown. <laughs> Let's be real. Um, but also, while that's true, that seems to make sense. Both of her parents have PhDs. She grew up in a three-story house in a crime-free neighborhood. I, I don't think she understands what I would have given to be able to have grown up in that environment instead of just getting two scholarships that were worth $5,000 each. Um, I mean, as a woman of color and as a first-generation college student, I will leave college with a a good amount of debt. Not that it's not worth it, but I think it's, it's time to stop assuming that first-generation college students uh, get free rides just, for, just because. We have to work hard, too. I don't think she w understood what I would have given to have the type of environment that she did, but what I think back into Latinx history, I, I think about all the times that we had to really fight for our rights. I think about the East LA walkouts in the 1960s where students like myself walked out of their classrooms because their teachers didn't take them seriously and because they were um, told that they shouldn't go to college and they weren't even allowed to speak Spanish at school. And I mean, this is not that long ago. I think about the Chicano movement where parents had to fight the Supreme Court to let their children go to, to um, other classes, they had segregated schools just for Mexican children, and one of the reasons being because they were dirty and they had lice and et cetera, et cetera. Their stories would be nothing about without struggle. I didn't choose this life, but I'm going to make a difference someday, either in the lives of many or in the life of just one Latino um, first-generation student who doesn't have the voice to be able to tell their story like I do. Goshen College has seen this, um, this need to help Latinos and as well as their first other, other fundraiser dinner that they had last year, and I felt really proud to be able to be a part of. Um, just um, feeling like I could be able to advocate for my fellow students, and I feel that while my struggle is big, I'm gonna keep fighting so that those who come after me don't have to fight as hard. Thank you. Hi again, I'm Janeth, um, and we've heard some stories about first what it's like to be a first-generation student, but I would also like to talk about what it's like to be a commuter on campus. So as a commuter student, there's lots of struggles. 
in a way, it's so much harder to balance your life because you have to not only balance your schoolwork, your social life, extracurriculars, and work, but you also have to balance your family. In the Latino culture, family is such an important part. And lots of family members can resent the fact that you don't spend time with them. For example, my, da my dad's mom is here for the summer, and my dad keeps asking when I'm gonna go over to visit her because I haven't seen her for a bit. And like, all I can say is I have so much work, I have so much stuff going on, but my dad still wonders where I'm at. So it's not always easy to be involved on campus because family and work can be higher priorities than social life, and I don't think everyone understands that. It's not always easy for commuters to even know what's going on on campus because we just don't have the friendships that others have developed already living in the dorms. Can you guys imagine not even knowing what kickoff was and missing it because of that? That's what happened to a friend of mine. She just didn't have the knowledge as a first-year commuter student to realize what was going on on campus. I really encourage you guys to step out of your comfort zone and approach commuters. I promise we don't bite. Alexa might, but I mean, that's another issue. We're pretty chill people, and we just want to feel the sense of belonging on campus that other people feel. Well, you might ask, Commuters are always in their lounge, and that's where they stay, and um, residential students aren't allowed in there, right? Well, one day a commuter student was actually in the connector, trying to interact with others and just go out of her um, comfort zone to fit in, but she was shut down. A residential student told her she wasn't allowed to be there because she was a commuter. It's little things like that that really get into people's heads, and then they start to wonder why in the world they're trying so hard to fit in when others don't accept them. One of the solutions we LSU proposes is to open up more designated areas on campus for commuters. Areas that are more in the center of campus where other students will see commuters and maybe not be so scared of us. Residential students have their dorms to go to after class, but commuters just have one lounge. With the growing number of commuters on campus, the school needs to find new places for students to feel welcome and to have like a sort of sanctuary to go to. So another issue is why don't, I mean, you might be asking, why don't commuters students try to adapt to what's going on on campus? Well, as I mentioned before, family and work do take a priority. But even when we do want to come to events, lots of the events are super late at night. And as fun as they may sound, we also have to think about the fact that we have to drive back to our houses afterwards. Some of us have a five-minute drive, but others have 30, a 30-minute 30 drive, and even, even some have like over an hour. And so it's just not possible to come to the events because of that. It's just not safe. One of the proposals LSU has for student life is to open up spaces for commuters to be able to sleep over after these events. The commuters would be responsible for cleaning the places afterwards and everything, but it would just give them a bigger chance, a bigger opportunity to actually go to events like kickoff. It would also greatly help during midterms when they need to study a lot or when those bad storm, snowstorms hit. Let's face it, professors say, come at your own risk, but even if you don't come during these times, your grade does suffer. 
It would just be a good way to help students out and to help them keep being passionate learners. Although we've made suggestions on a broader scale, I would like to challenge you, the students, to just step out of your comfort zone and welcome one another. Invite a student to stay, a commuter student to stay with you on the night of kickoff. Ask them if they might need a place to stay when there's a bad weather coming. Help each other out. Change can happen on this campus, and it can start with you guys. Thank you. Hi, I'm Des Lopez, and I'd just like to thank Janet for suggesting all those things. Hopefully, we can make it happen, but um, it takes two to tango. So um, it'll take us, uh, commuters, and everyone on campus to make these things happen. So again, my name is Des Lopez. I stand here today as a first-generation commuter, Latino, and third-year marketing student. But one thing that I'd like to point out about myself and some other people on campus is the subject of transfer commuter students. I transferred to Goshen College in the year 2014. That year was maybe one of the hardest for myself, mainly because I was struggling to feel like I belonged at Goshen College. I grew up in the area, so it wasn't that I felt homesick or that I missed my friends. It was that I felt almost like an outsider and like I didn't belong. When I transferred to Goshen College, I did not realize that there would be such a huge barrier between myself and students who lived on campus, which was extremely naive of myself. During my first year, I always gravitated towards the fronts or the backs of classrooms, and I sat mainly by myself. I kept to myself, I made very little friends, and I confined myself to the commuter lounge. I expected people to want to be my friend, to want to know who I was, and I expected them to want to invite me to events but it wasn't until last year that I learned that I needed to work for those relationships that would then lend itself to all those things that I wanted. As a commuter student and a transfer student, you have to work twice as hard to feel like you belong at Goshen College. Yes, the people on campus might be friendly, but in the end, it's the meaningful relationships with professors and friends that keep students here. If it weren't for those friends that I made in my classes or in the commuter lounge, I would not be standing here today. I might be at another school. Some of the things that I did to push myself to feel more integrated into Goshen College were a few of the following. I got a job on campus, which opened up my circle of friends so much. Um, I work alongside Kristen Weltner in the admissions office, working to get transfer students to come here to Goshen College. I share my experiences with them, and although they might be a little bit negative towards the beginning, it, there's always a positive at the end. Um, one simple thing that I did was sit amidst um, people I didn't know in my classes, which made a huge difference. Um, as simple as it may sound, I was able to make friends simply by doing that. Um, going to events that were hosted on campus helped me feel like I belonged, and most recently, being part of the LSU team is one way that I'm also helping integrate myself into campus and doing things like this and sharing my experiences. Being involved with clubs, taking up a part-time job on campus, and opening yourself up to opportunities to meet new people are ways in which I've been able to make myself feel like I belong at GC. Of course, every person will have a different story, but the main thing to take away from this is that if you're a transfer, commuter student, or both, don't expect that everyone will want to be your friend, or that people will randomly spark conversations with you. 
and I mean they might, but just don't rely on it. Take the initiative and force yourself to be part of activities and things going on on campus. One last story that I'd like to share with all of you is one about my sister. My sister Amanda was a nursing student at IUSB, but ended up dropping all of her classes two weeks ago. Why? She was tired of feeling like an outsider, not getting the required attention that she needed academically, and because the atmosphere at IUSB was just not one that she wanted to be a part of anymore. Whoops. Um, anymore. Instead, I encouraged her to come on a visit to Goshen College. She was here last week and took a tour and absolutely fell in love with the kindness of her admission staff, the welcoming hellos of people who didn't even know her, and just the entirety of the school. I'm not trying to say that our campus is unfriendly or that people are unwilling to break those barriers. I'm saying that work needs to be put, work needs to be put forth by both parties. Right now, I don't have the heart to tell her that it's not always going to be this welcoming and friendly. Right now, I'm just hoping that things will change and that her transition to GC will be a little bit more smoother than what mine was. Thank you. Good morning, once again, my name is Marco Fraticelli. I'm a junior sociology major with a gender studies minor. <clears throat> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I'm from Puerto Rico, <clears throat> and coming not only to the US but to Goshen College was a big culture shock. Everyone knew each other, everyone knew what was going on, people even knew the professors, what their names were, who their aunts were, where they went to MCC, it was really weird, except me. Uh, I ate it, at least I felt that way. I ate at the rot and I was missing my food, maybe someone rabichara I was missing my music. I even miss speaking Spanish and no matter how many Spanish speakers I surrounded myself with, trust me, it's not the same. I was also struggling in the classes. I was caught off guard when I went into all my classrooms and all my professors were white. To an extent, I felt I couldn't ask my professors anything. I mean, how could I? My last name wasn't Yoder. <laughs> I know this isn't how people intended to make me feel, but it's definitely how things played out in my mind. What was most weird about this was that no one ever understood or acknowledged this. I felt alone and throughout my whole first semester here at GC, I was ready to leave. Clearly, I didn't. And now looking back, the scariest thing was that it was the first semester and it wasn't even cold yet. Winter was coming, winter is coming. <laughs> so bad things were, were ready to happen. <laughs> it was also through this journey that I learned that people just expected me to just get used to it. To an extent I have, however, this shouldn't be the experience for Latino students on this campus. Um, thinking back, the two main reasons why this was so difficult, well first, I couldn't integrate with GC's culture. I'd never been here, I couldn't understand it. For example, the first time a student told me her name was Maddie, I thought it was spelled M-A-T-T-Y. Second, I wasn't doing great in my classes and I couldn't ask for help, or even if I could, no one else did so I didn't have the courage to do so. So LSU has been working to find solutions to these problems that not only Latinos face, but in a sense we all do. Recently I spoke to a faculty member to build a program to educate our community on cultural competence. Hopefully through this platform we would be able to create a better campus not only for Latino students and, Latino and students of, can of color, woo, but also for a whole community. And through this hopefully people can understand how it is to be in that situation. 
or at least help those who are. Furthermore, last year, LSU did something called speed dating, and it wasn't as weird as it sounds, where several people from faculty and staff like Regina Shan Stoltzfus, Beth Martin Berkey, and Lana Rohrer came and got to know students, as well as talking about their role on campus. Now, we want to take that idea and take it to the next level, introducing something we want to call study tables. We would like to invite all departments to join us and help students academically. However, we don't just want this to be tutoring, that's what the ASC is for. Uh, but we want professors to build relationships and understand students further than just Moodle and the classroom. Meanwhile, students also get to know their profs a little bit more one-on-one. -on -one. We would love to see faculty and staff to take that step forward with us and show us that you care as much as we know you do. Thank you. All right, everybody still up? Give me like a woo-woo or something like, please, yeah, thank you. Um, as we hear these challenges, I would just encourage you guys just to empathize. Many of you may or may not understand what this means or understand what people are going through. I know all of you aren't first-generation students, aren't transfer students, aren't commuters, and aren't Latino or just of color in general. Uh, but I just really encourage you guys to empathize and to plug in because not all of you may not be experts on immigration or experts on culture, but how many of you in here like food? That's not that many. I, I assume there would be more. It's, that's how we get all you guys to come to our events, right? But how many of you like to dance? How many of you just like to have fun and just talk to each other? All right, not as many. I assume that. We're at a Mennonite school. Um, but yeah, that's a way to get plugged in. That's a first step. If you want to get to know somebody different, come to one of these events. LSU has dance night. We have a night where we celebrate a different culture and we just sit and eat food. We're not going to be talking about like, oh, immigration this, immigration that. We're just going to just hang out with each other. <laughs> I know many of you can get nervous when you see that, okay. And it's not exclusive to white people or to Latin people. White people can come to them. That's what I mean. So yeah, and also these problems are not exclusive to white or Latin people, sorry. But yeah, so if you guys would like to get involved or just like to know what we, we do at LSU, please contact one of the leaders. Our emails were up there like a couple seconds ago, yeah. Or if you just want to know how to get involved, you can talk to us after this. Uh, and just a quick plug before we end, uh, we have a meeting on Monday. We're going to have really, really good desserts. I'm not going to tell you what they are yet, but just come and find out. It's a meeting at Monday, 10, 10 a.m. to 10.50. At the CIAE, so please be there. Yeah, so, yeah, that's it for me. Can I get a clap, please? <laughs>